Hello, welcome to In The World Podcast, episode 3, yep. 2017. Number 3. How's everyone doing? Name and how you're doing? Good. Uh, Russell Dooley, I'm doing very good. Uh, Rosie Dooley, I'm doing alright. Joe, I'm doing pretty well. I've had two days off. So, oh, what? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, here in, here in the shorts and flip flops. Yeah, it's about. It has rained today. It has yeah. rained. Well, it rained as Joe arrived. So. <laughs> in his shorts and pink shorts and flip flops. Yeah. Interestingly, I was um, going through Kettering today on my day off, and I was behind a car that was uh, clearly for a cafe, and I didn't know, but Kettering has a cultural quarter. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I wouldn't be able to tell you where it is, but I have heard of Kettering cultural. I I don't think we can allocate one fourth of Kettering to cultural. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's. I'm not an expert on fractions, but that seems high mm. to me. So where is it? I have no idea. Oh, I just I, saw I, this I car with no. The car had cult. It was a cafe that was in the cultural quarter, but I don't know where it is. I've only I've only seen the three other quarters of Kettering. <laughs> and they're certainly not cultural. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right, anyway, so episode three of In The World Podcast is not a Bible-centred podcast, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be spouting a hatred or anything like that. We're going to be looking at topical issues like we've done in the past. Uh, and this week we're going to be looking at three relatively big issues, the first of which being uh, the Daily Mail's inherent sexism. Oh my goodness, yes. made me very cross this morning when I... Opened up my Twitter feed, and what did we have plastered across the front? Never mind Brexit, who won Lexit? Yeah, and then so, I mean, I... Pic- a picture of Theresa May and Nicola Sturgeon having a meeting. Yeah, I only heard about this on the radio, actually, on the way home. Um, and it was basically people had complained, not about the content of the article as such, but the actual fact that this is front, like front page Yeah, they're news. the two most powerful people not even two most powerful women two most powerful people in the uk at the moment and that's what the daily mail has to say yeah so what so what exactly have what what are they saying legzit is is it just a who had the oh, best it's just a, it's or... just a, i assume that's what they mean by that but i think that it's just a cheesy stupid tagline to get catch people's attention and what we don't want at this point is to uh, engage in the debate no, do we we don't we want don't. to we don't want to decide who no. had the better legs no um i think that would be missing the point somewhat it would. um it's such it's such a mad title for uh, a broadsheet no are they, the daily mail's not a broadsheet is it for a for a newspaper to have mm. i think one of the things that you found rosie was um one of the jokes was about oh on Twitter people were saying oh 1972 called they want their they want their misogynistic title back you know things like that and it was just so, people were in outrage on Twitter this morning as the only uh, woman in this podcast Rosie unless Russell you have something that you want to tell us uh, no. <laughs> no okay yeah as the only woman in in this podcast Rosie. Do you feel that you encounter casual sexism on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, if at all? Um, I think I do often, actually. So I work um, as I'm a healthcare professional and I go and see people in their homes. And sometimes I wonder if I were a man, would they take me a bit more seriously? Right. I, I can't, I haven't got any evidence to say that they don't, but sometimes 
I go to an appointment and it does leave me wondering the way that I've been spoken to, the way, the way that I've been treated, and then I leave. So sometimes I sit in the car afterwards and I think, if I had a, would had been a man, would they have said that to me or would they have acted in that way? Another thing was today, I, I noticed that Russell and I are buying a house at the moment Ooh. and um, in every email that Russell sends to our solicitors, he CCs me in so I can see that and he does the same to the bank and whatever but whenever he gets a reply I'm not included in that mm, I think part of that is just people are lazy with the emails and they hit yeah, reply instead of replying to all yeah it probably but is, still but... you know it's it does make you wonder it does yeah with with your work do you not think that maybe not necessarily more to do with but it's also to do with your age yeah I you do know, think that as an older person do you think obviously there might I think it will improve, but, you know, why should it? Why should it? I should be treated with the same respect now as a professional as I would be later as an older professional. I'm, I'm more comfortable with age-related uh, isms. Yeah. Because you'd like to think that with age comes a certain level of experience, experience yeah. knowledge. Um, knowledge, and probably you have more qualifications generally. But, yeah, the fact that you f- feel like that, in part because you're a woman... Is really disgraceful. Mm. There was a there was a story that did the rounds on the internet um, a few weeks ago. There was a, a a recruitment firm, and there was one woman, and it was taking her a lot longer to convert her clients. Oh yes, get... did I you see that. this? Yeah. Yes, and she changed her. She borrowed a gentleman's name. That's and right. Put it at the end of the email, and she would she she noticed a huge difference, didn't she? She would gain the trust of the client so much more quickly than when she was using her own name and she found that people uh, I can't remember exactly how the article was worded but people would her, all of her clients would provide her with the things they needed so she could get the job done whereas when she had been signing emails with her own name um, people weren't weren't doing that she had to it made her job so much more difficult and that's because she was signing her name yeah. as a woman mm. and I've seen yeah. um, so I'm a rep um by day, <laughs> superhero <laughs> by night, um, <laughs> and um, I've seen. Well, customers have said to me that when I go in and see them, I get half an hour with them, and then what? This happened just two weeks ago. One of my customers said, oh, "I'm going to have to move you along, Joe. I've got another rep coming in now. She's much more attractive than you, and she'll probably get she'll probably get an order." And it was said in jest, yeah, but it was. It was said. Yeah. And I kind of like joked it off and was like, oh, okay, you know, you go and enjoy yourself. Um, but I was like, I didn't feel that bad for myself, but I thought how terrible for her that she's valued on her looks rather yes. than on what she brings to the table. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you think it's worse the fact that he probably wouldn't have said or behaved like that to her, but he's done it to another guy, almost like male banter in a way. Like I can't yeah. imagine she, she would have walked in and he'd have gone like, Oh, here she is, you know, like the good looking one. Like, he would have been, I imagine, a lot more professional. But the fact he's done it almost behind her back in mm. like a prejudice right. sort of way, it's, it's no better, if not worse, isn't it, really? Yeah, and then you think about it from if I've been, in his eyes, an uglier woman, then not only is he differentiating on uh, the male and female line, but he's differentiating on a perceived attractiveness mm. line as well. So, had it have been someone that he perceived to be ugly coming in next, he would have been like, oh, you know, I've yeah. got to move you along, Joe. I've got an ugly woman coming in. <laughs> um, she probably won't get an order from me. And you just kind of think, like, oh, we're still there. We're mm. still in that world where we're judged on our appearance and it's exacerbated 
between genders. And it's just, it's a, it's a real great shame, isn't it? I think we've got some technology going off here. Versus yeah. dad's Sorry, just I, ringing I him. I forgot to uh, mute my phone. But that's and, okay. your watch. and your watch. And your watch. See, talking about, well. the, talking about the age we live in, everything's <laughs> buzzing to let me know. <laughs> anyway, back to um, the Daily Mail article. I was just looking through their Twitter feed to see if they've got any response to all this criticism that they are getting. And the only... It's not even a response, it's just another bit of rubbish. It's, it's a tweet, uh, it was five hours ago, so this newspaper, came, the, the article about Lexit came out this morning. I don't think they've said anything until five hours ago, so that was what, uh, about three o'clock, yeah, four o'clock? Three o'clock, yeah, three o'clock on the dot. On the dot, yeah. yeah. Um, and they've tweeted uh, another picture, so the same picture of Theresa May and Nicola Sturgeon, and it's, t- and it's a link to an article how to sit perfectly according to an etiquette expert. Ooh. So do you not think that's them just poking fun almost? I, I think, I don't know. Because, I mean, I'm interestedly, I've just looked at the Daily Mail, dailymail.co.uk website, and on their sort of front page website, which I imagine in this day and age, they treat almost as valuable as, as the front, front page, page of their website. Yeah. Their newspaper. Um, I can't see anything about legs it or any sort of mention of it and it sort of brings me on to my thought and question here is that given today's online presence of most companies obviously a newspaper doesn't have that luxury they'll have a article or a paper planned yesterday or you know late in the night that will hit the press first thing and be distributed across the country at that point, there's no retracting all of those newspapers. They're out in the wild. Unlike a website, they can pull things down. Mm. So do you not think this was just a publicity stunt on their part? Knowing full well they can't retract these newspapers, do you think it was more of a get daily get the Daily Mail trending on Twitter? And you know, was it was it not necessarily not yeah, just a, yeah. a sexist for the sake of being sexist? But it was more of a PR thing that. People are talking about the Daily Mail, and in my in my sort of thought, you know, newspapers are a dying breed. They're they're going to go away sooner yeah. rather than later because Perhaps of the so cost. Thought that any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, well, I especially think, yeah. for the Daily Mail. <laughs> the Daily Mail's got a bit of a, a track record, hasn't it, for not necessarily being the most reliable news source, I yeah. suppose. And I, yeah, I think you might be right, Russell. I think it might be a way. You're both now on the Daily Mail. Are you on? You're on the Daily I, Mail. I was on the da- Daily Mail Twitter feed. Twitter feed, and you're on the Daily Mail website. Yeah, I think they've probably achieved exactly what they wanted to probably. achieve. Exactly. Do, do they both have uh, adverts? adverts? The, the uh, Daily Mail dot the website does. So I think they've probably achieved exactly what they were yeah. trying yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. And I've gone to the website, and there isn't any mention of this story there. So again, news the newspaper is only valid for a day. You know, come tomorrow, that those newspapers will ninety five percent of them will probably be in the recycling bin or and be ch- gone. Yeah, chips in them, probably. Exactly, and that that front page image and that article will soon disappear. But what won't disappear is the amount of revenue they probably made yeah. through advertisements on the website, or just the, the fact they trended on Twitter. You know, people talked about it. So that's one aspect of it. The Daily Mail's uh, c- cynically, the Daily Mail's bid to get more to get more hits on their on their various uh, media streams. But going back to the question of sexism, within the highest ranks of politics in this country, we're talking about the Prime Minister and the leader 
of the Scottish Parliament. Where does that leave us? What's the answer? Rosie, is there an answer? I don't really know. We've got to wait for times to change. And I think that things are very, very different to how they used to be. But it's just such a backslide. Which one of them has the better backslide? (laughs) Not funny. (laughs) Um, I know that for a long time, Theresa May, more so than any other politician, um, probably as much, well, not as much, but similarly to the, the Kardashians or Angelina Jolie or whoever... Whenever I've seen articles in the Daily Mail in the past about Theresa May, it's always been about what shoes she's wearing. Yeah. Because apparently she wears... She wears controversial shoes for a politician. Yeah, because they've got the, the ones with the red sole. Um, so yeah, she wears them. I think they're leopard print with Jimmy red Chew soles. Or Jimmy Chew and then whatever some it is. I don't know what they are, but I don't pay attention. And then you also, I know to a lesser extent... But why I, does that matter? You I know. know. Why does that matter? But it, to a lesser extent, David Cameron in uh, Parliament when he was Prime Minister mm. was calling out uh, Jeremy Corbyn because he wore like a suit that I don't think I'd ever seen an iron. Mm. Um, and you're kind of like, why does the outward appearance matter? But it, it does matter. It clearly matters so much now because we talk about what a, a buffoon Boris Johnson looks half the time. Um, <laughs> and you just think... Well, what, does it, does anyone have an idea of what the Bible can con- contribute to this regarding perhaps male female equality um, or just general judgment of others? Judgment and, of others, and yeah. Not, and basically, the Bible says not to. Yeah. Know, so judgment, you know, and I guess it, especially when it's a judgment for someone completely out of context. Had Theresa May, you know, and. They, they had they both been at a beauty competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Granted, it was it was <laughs> no. given that they would be allowed to comment on who had the nicer legs or yeah. you know the longer legs or more skin shown or what have you. But they clearly weren't there for a beauty contest. They were there for far more important matters. Mm. So you know it's the the judgment was completely out of place and completely wrong. Really, Rosie, do you have any? biblically grounded ideas what I would say is I think for a lot of people who aren't necessarily Christians listening to this now they might expect based on um, opinions that they've heard in the past they might expect us to be more tolerant towards casual sexism um, because they might think that the bible is casually sexist Mm. because it has defined roles for, for men and women and they might therefore think that that as a result of that we are we are casually sexist but what i would say is that it couldn't be further from the truth in god's eyes jew or gentile male or female we are all children of god mm. we are all worthy of well we're all unworthy but we're all given god's grace even though we don't deserve it that's the whole point of grace so what i would say is that we should be treating men and women equally whether men and women have defined roles or different roles i.e. whether men and women are the same. They are definitely equal. Whether they're the same is a totally different question. But I have absolutely no time for these sorts of headlines. No. No. Absolutely not. Right. So the next thing that I wanted to bring to the table, because uh, on this podcast we're all bringing a subject to the table, is, uh, again, to do with Theresa May, but she's come out and said that after... The terror attack in Westminster conducted by what was his name? Rosie? Khaled Massoud. Khaled Massoud. I think he's he, born something else, so born Adrian Russell. Yeah. Or Adrian Elms. Yeah. I think he, he had a few had. different names. Oh right. Um but took on Khaled Massoud when he 
became a Muslim or potentially. He was um, radicalised in prison. Yes. <laughs> and I was listening to the radio the other day and um, the one of the guys that was talking on there, he was trying to make it quite clear that the name change isn't synonymous with being radicalised. So we don't oh, know right. at what point he changed his name, but a change in name doesn't mean this person's a terrorist. Right, yeah, for mm. example... Muhammad Ali was previously mm. Cassius Clay. Mm. That's right. Yeah, got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, the the controversy that Theresa May has now sort of brought to the table is that he was using WhatsApp, uh, which is a for those that don't know, it's a it's a messaging so it's a free messaging service. So it's like sending a text message, but you can send to groups of people, and it's totally free. It uses the, the internet. The internet. Yeah. Um, and he used that five minutes before before he he did what he did. And the problem that Theresa May has with WhatsApp is that the data is encrypted. And fortunately, we have an IT expert sitting in the room. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. So, Rosie, what... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Russell, what is encryption? Um, okay, so basically WhatsApp, similar to many services, instant messaging services, it won't just be WhatsApp, um, use something called end-to-end encryption. And end-to-end encryption is basically a way of allowing data to be transferred from one client to another, i.e. my phone to Joe's phone, without any interception of the message in the middle. So during transfer, your message, for example, if I sent Joe a message that said, hello, Joe, essentially, you know, that would be encrypted in such a way that that message just becomes to, you know, babble. It doesn't mean anything to anyone who who technically could see it. Um, and then once it gets to Joe's phone, when you say see it, do you mean see it in the air? You know. Yeah. If someone if someone essentially intercepts that that message that signal, you know, someone okay. can see that signal moving through. You have to imagine it almost as my phone in one corner, Joe's phone in the other. Mm. When I send Joe a message, that message is transmitted to a server somewhere and then from there put down to Joe's phone but there's a there's a movement of data from one from one end to another mm. and that's why this is known as end-to-end encryption so I'll send Joe a message and while that's in movement it's gibberish doesn't mean anything once it gets to Joe's phone his whatsapp client or whatever will know how to revert that data back to plain English Okay. And therefore receive the message, hello, Joe. So that's, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it than just that, but basically that's the, basic that's the process. Right. And they were also talking about, so Theresa May has been saying this isn't acceptable. Terrorists are using uh, messenger services like WhatsApp to send their secret plans to one another. Mm. And um, the secret service can't, as Russell said, intercept the messages that are being so- sent. How do they know that he sent a WhatsApp? Did they have his phone? I think they had his phone, yes. So surely they can just get into his phone and see the message on the screen? Well, I I imagine he's probably wiped his phone and wiped the messages to some degree. They probably can't log into his account, you know, be things like that. He might have done something. He must have done something because they would have been able to see it. Yeah, or you might find his phone was wiped but they saw he had WhatsApp and maybe WhatsApp can te- can say, oh, there was a message transmitted, oh, but we're not at liberty to tell you what it is. Yeah, so, so WhatsApp have said in all of this that they are working with the UK government and the Secret Service. What that actually means 
is up for debate, I suppose, because the, the point that Russell has made with the encryption is unless you have the transmitter or the receiver's phone, no, you don't know what it's, it's not there anymore. It doesn't exist. If, if they, they talk about a back door, is that right? Yeah. So essentially, there's certain things what, what you could call like a man in the middle attack. And that would be if you were able to pose. So while the data is being transferred, you can use a backdoor as such as a, as a man in the middle, intercept any movement of data and then trick the, my phone, essentially. So again, in the scenario, I'm sending you data. Rosie could be the man in the middle and through sophisticated you know, hacking software and algorithms and, and whatnot, she could pose as pretending to be Joe. So my so she intercepts the signal. So maybe you both intercept it. Yeah. But Rosie's phone then also knows how to revert it back to plain English. Got you. So that backdoor aspect doesn't exist with WhatsApp because then I think I'm right saying it wouldn't be fully encrypted, mm. and therefore encryption is like a, is like a an all or nothing. It's either encrypted or I it's see. not. Mm. So Theresa May has come out and said, well, I think her f- initial statement was we need to get the information on. It. We need to effectively unencrypt. WhatsApp, so we can get this information, and that's that's it's not possible. It's too late possible. now, though. It's too late. Yeah, that's that's it's not gone. a thing. Yeah, um, but she's also said that more generally, we need to be clamping down on encrypted messenger services um, to to prevent terrorists from using it. And on the face of it, it, sounds like a really good idea. You know, why would we have the ability for people to to be whispering in public about? potentially really dangerous stuff yeah and i think i think it falls back on the a lot of sort of what happened in america and the nsa and the fbi essentially spying on people yeah um so if there comes a point where we don't encrypt messages that are being transferred you you expose people to a lot a lot of attackers essentially so for example People, even though you warned against it, I guess, will still do such things as transfer sensitive documents via WhatsApp or transfer username and password and bank details. And people still will do those. And if it's if it's widely spread and announced that these services will no longer encrypt your messages, then people will just outright stop using them. And obviously for people like Facebook, WhatsApp, you know, Messenger, all these different services, they can't afford to have that happen. Yeah. So um, I agree with all of that. What? But what if we, what if they do decide that there's to be no encryption? Yeah. So what happens then? I heard a guy on the radio, an IT expert, and he was saying that he could um, set up a new encrypted Messenger service within about 20 minutes. So if they said we're closing all encryption, we're stopping all encrypted messages. Um, if and we've got to think that like organisations like ISIS and, and terrorist organisations like that, we can't assume that they're idiots. Mm. So we've got to assume that there is someone in there that's got is IT savvy. Mm. Um, within twenty minutes, they could have a messaging service that we don't know about yeah. and that we can't we can't see. So and what's to say they don't already? Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we we hear about these sort of public facing apps like WhatsApp and that that people use but I think that's perhaps the people on the outskirts of these organisations that that can just download them for free in, in literally 10 seconds on their phone but what's to say they don't have some bigger yeah 
know. Well, this this other person that I was listening to said if it that if that worked, they should have just banned the Enigma code in mm. World War Two. They should have just banned it, and then you think, well, but they still would have done it. And you mm. think, well, that's the whole point, isn't it? That mm. you can't ban, you can't stop people from doing bad things. You can make it more difficult for them, but they'll still find ways of doing the bad that's things. Okay. But also with encryption, one of the other aspects that I'm not sure I certainly didn't realise until someone told me was, people with pacemakers have, uh, the pacemaker is encrypted so it can send information back to the doctor so the doctor can see what your pacemaker is doing, but it has to be encrypted to stop anyone else from seeing what your pacemaker is doing. Because that would be disastrous if other people could. Yeah, you imagine. Well, it could be. Let's hope that it wouldn't. Hope that there's not bad people out there. But if people could get hold of that information, if they had bad let's say, bad intentions, mm. um, they, could, they could do anything to that pacemaker. Yeah. And they could do it on like a, on a global scale. If they found the back door to all of a brand's pacemakers, I'm not up to speed with yeah. the pacemaker brands, um, fortunately. Um, <laughs> but if they could, then they could just like, theoretically, I suppose, kill everyone with a pacemaker. Yeah. And you said about online banking. Yeah, and I think the, the way, especially again, the way the world's going with its, what, a term that gets thrown around a lot especially at sort of the um, Microsoft conventions that I go to and that sort of thing it's a lot of what they call big data and now the world is so connected with an- another term they always bound around is the internet of things so we're at a point now and case in point earlier on in the podcast when I received a phone call and my watch was telling me yeah. you know <laughs> everything now is connected to the point where people can connect to their cars with their phones, people yeah. can connect to this, that, and the other, and all of that data and all that information at some point has to be encrypted because there's always going to be people trying to listen. Mm. So again, at the pacemaker, the pacemaker example isn't just about necessarily malicious people who want to, you know, affect people's pacemakers, but more if people could read that information that's going back to the doctor, i.e someone can listen into 100,000 pacemakers and it may be determined that, say, 20,000 of them are pretty bad, then what's to say they can't take that information, maybe learn who the person is, where they live, learn their doctor's name. They could then sell all that information onto a third party yeah, that's true. who can target them with advertisements for mm-hmm. private this, that, and the other. And, you know, it's it's so open to not just necessarily the, the most malicious, direct... But it's it's the information that itself is more valuable than anything. And people will sell it and people will yeah. utilise it to target ads at people or to send someone around to the house, knock on the door and say, oh, have you been having problems with your pacemaker? Knowing full well they have because they listen to the data. So, you know, yeah. there's all these... Yeah, that's really And true. that's just one tiny example. And you think now everything has connectivity. Mm. We need stuff to be encrypted, whether messaging needs to be I don't know it's slightly different but so just bring it into a Christian perspective what I would say is that you can't encrypt your your thoughts and your actions and your deeds from God there is God has a back door yeah. he has the front door he has the side door certainly no end to end encryption yeah. <laughs> so he knows exactly the uh, the meaning of your heart and uh, and the spirit and whether it dwells in you or not so um, there's no basically what I'm saying is there's no hiding from God no um, which is a a really good thing yeah like i'm saying that like it's like god is a big brother state but he knows us but he's also given us i suppose to extend the analogy um a back door to heaven and that was jesus on the cross and he said 
uh, despite all of your your bad intentions and your bad thoughts I have given you through uh, Jesus on the cross uh, um, I've given you a back door I've given you I've given you hope I've given you an option um, so that's really good news it is good Right, so let's move on to our third and final topic of this evening, Russell. Yeah, so sort of slightly moving away from from politics as such and, and more, hey. I guess it sort of t- <laughs> touches upon our, our second podcast that we released last week about, you know, war and, and justification of war and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it's about the soldier, and you have to forgive me, I've... I've lost his name, um, who essentially was sentenced to life in prison um, for, I think, quote-unquote, murdering a Taliban Taliban fighter who was wounded. And I I believe at the time they had him prisoner and he was wounded. Um, That was sentence was was set in 2013. I think it was towards the back end of 2013. And he recently has been had his sentence changed to manslaughter. Um, so he, he's no longer convicted of murdering this person. It, it was a manslaughter charge. And therefore, he's actually served the term he would have served of just over three years, I think. So it could only be a matter of weeks now until he's out. So this man's essentially got his life back. Obviously, he's not going to get these three years back and and the, the sort of mental trauma he must have gone through. But I just, you know, I just find it's one of those stories that that it's almost divided a lot of people for a long time. Yeah, so I think uh, an important distinction to make, I think you touched on it, Russell, was bearing in mind what we said in last week's podcast regarding the differences between murder and killing in war. The Taliban fighter was un- was unarmed. He was injured, injured, and he was in the the Marines' possession in inverted commas. M- Marine A. Is what he was being called throughout the case, yeah. Alexander Alexander Blackman. Blackman. Alexander Blackman. He shot this Taliban fighter dead, and there's a recording that I heard some people on the radio being like, "Oh, this recording should never have seen the light of day." As if that, as if we should just never have known the truth. Yeah. Um, on that recording, he said something like, "Oh, I just, I've just... broke the Geneva Code." Geneva Convention. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Geneva Code. And you, th- so you think he. You think he was totally compass mentors by that statement. I've just broken the G- Geneva Convention. He's done it sort of knowingly. Mm. And then my, my understanding is that he's had his sentence reduced in large part because it was deemed that he had diminished responsibility because he was he was suffering from... From a men- mental... Yeah. Fun- abnormality of mental functioning. Um, yeah, so they've, they've reduced his sentence from murder. Sorry, so the reason that it's... So the reason that it's a murder, not killing, is because it broke the Geneva Convention because he was unarmed. Da, 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 da. Um, so it's and he's also been his. So he was he was found guilty of murder, and then they've reduced his sentence to manslaughter because of the diminished responsibility. So they reduced his sentence to seven years, but he's already served three and a half years, uh, which is what he has to serve on a seven-year sentence because you only have to serve half of your time. So he should he can theoretically. Walk Be out released, of yeah. prison yeah. tomorrow, I think. Yeah. I, I do worry for him. If he does, I just feel like he'll be he'll be such a target. Mm. For, for, for whom? Just terrorists in general. Yeah. 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 And maybe, you know, the public. I think a lot of people 
will perhaps see what he did and think it's wrong and not know, you know the full story. Or yeah, not, but then on the on the flip side, I think he did have a lot of support and. I've, on Facebook and that sort of thing I keep seeing the odd article pop up or you know comment from someone on my feed about how they they wish him well and they want to yeah. support him because of what he did out there um, and one of the things the judges said is Blackman had been an exemplary soldier before his deployment mm. so you know he he wasn't someone who was always a bit of a loose cannon I think he was always a, a very you know by the book soldier and yeah. it's just a moment of 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 weakness I guess and in this case um, I and think I th- it said in he was in the last month of a six month deployment in the Helmand province which is one of the worst yeah. areas and in that six months his unit had lost seven men uh, probably seven very close friends you know he's yeah. it, it's it's an yeah. awful place to be and, and I think that you know you were saying that he, he outwardly said afterwards uh, fairly quickly afterwards I just broke the Geneva Convention but I and you said that so therefore he was fully aware of what he did but mm. I I think that you can change from second to second I think yeah I think, I think that's right. very easily done you know I can be very cross and very angry at times mm. and then uh, yeah. shouldn't have done that yeah I think you're probably right I, I I I struggle with this because the reason that I struggle is I I fully appreciate I pro- oh well, I don't fully appreciate because I've never been I've never done a six month tour um, I've never been in the army um, I, I fully appreciate that the British Army are doing some really really tough stuff at, and some of the things that they must go through um, you you wouldn't wish for any human no. being to go through and they're working in a situation where the level of stress is uncompromisable. However, the British Army is called to be. And is, in my opinion, the, the greatest army in the world because of the way that our men and women are trained and the way that they conduct themselves. And the Geneva Convention is there because if it wasn't there, things like this could happen. And actually, where do we draw... You know, they say one man's freedom... One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Or one man's... In one eyes, it's, it's, it's justified. And in other eyes, it's not justified. Mm-hmm. Well, the British Army can rightly justify a lot of what they do because it's done within the Geneva Convention and it's done right. Yes. And this is an this is an occasion where something wasn't done right. It was a it was breaking the Geneva Convention. So I, I, f- I feel for him on a personal level. I feel like how could you possibly expect a a man to be more than a man? in a situation oh yes you know you're expecting a man to be a convention Mm. you're expecting a man to be a set of rules and to understand it in like a binary fashion it's just it's more than we can expect that things like this will happen because we're all fallible however as an institution i.e. the British Army in a war I just don't know I just I'm really uncomfortable with it but having said that if he was struggling with a mental with mental problems. I feel like, how can you not? If yeah, you're not there yeah. in that, yeah. how can you not? How can you not be mentally vulnerable, if that's a term? Yeah. When you're out there, and what did you say? Seven of your friends have, have been killed, have been cast off one by one in, already in by these no. people. Yeah. It's you know in, in so very I, quick fashion. I. And, and it also yeah. says here, just just briefly, that the patrol remained under threat from these insurgents at the time of the killing. So it wasn't just him back at the base kicking about and it was one of the things like they were still under threat 
perhaps under fire from insurgent patrols. You know, it, 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 even the, it's not just he'd been involved in stressful environment. The exact moment was still a very stressful. From I imagine he's yeah. still essentially under fire from an enemy. It, it all, you know, it, it all obviously just tip, tipped over a boiling point. Is there any? I haven't. I haven't come across this in what I've read about it. But has there been any? Um, you know that argument that you get. <laughs> I was putting him out of his misery. Mm. You know, he was in such a bad way that actually. No, I haven't was... seen an, seen any of that. I don't think he, so. No. The, um, when he, I think when he originally has his trial, had his trial, I think he denied murder because he thought that the, the Taliban fighter was already dead. Mm. Right. He claimed he was taking frustration out on a body, essentially. Um, but then there's since been helmet footage from someone else found, which shows him essentially shooting this man in the chest, but point blank with a handgun. Um, close range. At close range. So, you know, he must have... He must have known. So it makes you also question on the flip side, why lie in the first place? Whether it's just through knowing he's potentially facing life in prison... I don't know, but he, I'd like to think he must have known this man was alive. And it just, there's always that small grey area in the middle as to sort of yeah. why, why not lie. But I think for me, anyway, the main points are that how, how can you not be mentally vulnerable in that situation? Mm. I'd like to think, well, I wouldn't like to think, but I think that all the other people there, if they had done the same thing, I think that it didn't matter who they were, if they'd done exactly the same thing, they would still be at this point now saying, oh, I was under yeah. mental instability, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's the the main thing for me is how can you not sim- not sympathise? Oh, yeah, for me, I, I can sympathise. I, I just don't him. think we can ever understand. We, we can't, we yeah. can't ever say, oh, I wouldn't have done it. No, you can't. Because it's too easy it, to say that. I yeah. think, given in that circumstance, we've got no idea Absolutely what it's no like idea. to be there. We've got no idea what he was thinking at the time. There's only one person who does. The big man. The big, the big man. man. Yeah. No, I think you. I think you're both right. And I. I think if you were to put. Yeah, you're right. If you put anyone in that situation, you're just asking so much of them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you said about he. You know, you For him not to have done what he did, you're asking him to be more than a man. You are. You are asking him to be a set of rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you were uh, Russell, if you brought this, you brought this subject to the table. If you were the uh, judge in the case for Marine A versus well, I don't know who he, I don't know how our judicial yeah. system works would you find how would you have called it then I think we've sort of surmised what see I don't know I feel like the way it's panned out is perhaps the way it needed to you know the, the murder charge brought the severity of it to the table I think yes. it made other marines and people realise that this isn't this is clearly not good. You know, you yeah. shouldn't do this. Um, and I, I'm sure he's paid for it over the three years. Every every second he's been in prison, I'm sure it's it's been painful for him. Yeah. However, now, given light of evidence of mental illness and that, maybe you know, if he's if he's a, a manslaughter charge, might be what might be the justification he, it, this case needs. You know, but I think it was important. Even though it perhaps makes a bit of a mockery of the whole thing to just change someone's sentence, you know, in light of evidence yeah. and that. The the idea, I think the fact that he was charged with the murder charge in the first place was perhaps the right thing. As I say, just as the stern message of... This is not this okay. Isn't, this is not okay. Um, but it, yeah, just the, the point, I think the overall point I take away from this, 
Um, it's more just the, the power of prayer. And I just imagine in that situation, not knowing what to do, how powerful a prayer would have been or, you know, a series of prayers. And just just for that, that cl- like climax of stress and and all those feelings to perhaps how prayer could... Yeah, definitely. Just, I mean, I'm not saying prayer would have stopped him from killing the man. You know, of course, I'm not saying that, but I just think, you know, in our day to day life, as we as we experience high levels of stress and these things that just the boiling points where we just snap and perhaps just lose it at someone, shout at someone for no reason or anything like that. You know, how powerful prayer can be to just, just calm those waters. Definitely, I think it's a really good example of the frailties of man um, and. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But as was said previously, um, there was someone that was perfect and that was Jesus. And he, he gives us hope and he gives us a, he gives us a way out. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. I think that's a good place to, to wrap up that discussion. So, Rosie's clapping in approval or saying a prayer. It's unclear. Both. Both. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. So thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back next time with a with a single topic to discuss, uh, with a few more Bible verses and, and, and what for. Can we give a teaser of what that's going to be, Russell, seeing as though we're about to record it in sure. two minutes' time? Okay. What's the teaser? Um, it's to do with vegetables. Vegetables, yeah. It's vegetable-related. Mm. Vegetables. Yes, the, ve- the veg cast. The veg cast, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, so thanks for listening. Um, we can be found... At Russell Dooley on Twitter. At Rosie with a Y Dooley on Twitter. Yeah. Yep. Still yeah. Twitter. No, nothing to add. Nothing to no, add there. Just the uh, in in the world podcast at gmail.com as well. If you want to send us an email. And we've worked out what the password is for that. Yes, we can finally get in there. So, so, yeah. so we, should, we should be. Able to Have we been inundated with emails? Um, I haven't checked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.